I got to be honest, I was one of the ones that was really excited that Trevor was speaking today. I thought, man, I got the day off. That's awesome. Um, I told those of you who were here last week what I was speaking on today. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers, but those that aren't here who were here last week, we now know are avoiding this topic because they're sinners. Um, I'm just kidding. Today I'm talking about tithing. Everybody just go, ooh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm talking about tithing today. And for those that may not know, tithing is this biblical word, this church word that deals with you giving your money to the church. And let me just go ahead and put you on notice. I don't get commission today. So those of you who aren't tithing, begin tithing at the end of the day. I don't take a cut of that. Uh, this is not a self-serving message um, hopefully we're going to answer some of the questions that you may have about tithing, hopefully put to bed some of the myths about tithing that may exist. And if not, I would encourage you, my email address is on the back of the worship guide you received. And so if maybe we don't get a chance to talk very much on your way out when I'm trying to shake your hand, if you have questions or you are concerned that maybe I presented a position that's a little different than what you believe or what you've been taught, I encourage you to email me. And to say, hey, I have a question, or you didn't answer this, or you said something I don't believe is, is really in the Bible, or something like that. And let's begin a dialogue. I am not offended by that at all. There's not enough time for us today to fully engage everything that I believe we could say about tithing, but to try to honor your time, I wanted to present this in a way that is similar to what I try to do every single week. I don't ever take it for granted when I get to stand on this stage and do what I get to do on a weekly basis, and that is to present the truth of God's word to you on a specific topic. And that is my hope. Um, that is, has been my endeavor this week and over the last few weeks as I've been preparing for today to really take what God's word says about tithing and about giving uh, and, and help us to understand what it is and how it applies to our life. And it may make you a little uncomfortable. Um, that's not my hope. My goal is not to make you feel guilty if you don't tithe. My goal is not to make you feel haughty if you do tithe. Um, my goal is not to in any way do anything other than say, here's what God's word says, and here's what I think that it means to us. And the reason that I want to go to the Bible and not just my opinion is because the Bible talks a lot about tithing, and it talks a lot about money. Uh, in, in the Bible, there are 500 references to prayer. In the Bible, there's about 500 references to prayer. There's 2,300 references to money and possessions. That's a pretty big disparity. Even in the ministry of Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he told 36 different parables, 36 different stories, and 16 of the 36 had to do with our attitude towards money. One out of every 10 verses in the New Testament deals with our attitude towards money. And so today, I'm not going to talk about a, a, a topic where I'm having to really pick and choose scriptures out to support a position that I hold. I want to just take a major theme of scripture and address that from God's word. You know, last week I referenced, and we've talked about it really over these three weeks together in this Contagious Generosity series, but I referenced uh, Matthew 6, 21, where it says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's something, uh, there, there's something about the way we handle money that actually reveals a lot about our heart. And, and I said then that an easy way for us to evaluate our heart is to evaluate our treasure. Go and look at the places that we spend our money, and that will tell you a lot about the things that we prioritize with our life. I want you to think right now, where do you spend the bulk of your money? 
I don't know if you keep a checkbook or a ledger book in your checkbook if you write checks anymore. I don't know if you have online banking that you check in some, you know, kind of uh, regular fashion where you can look and see that. We do that. I've got an app on my phone. I've got an uh, online account where I can go and I can look at any time to see what's in my checking account and savings account and where our money's gone out and what's happening. And, and it's amazing if I ever get to the place where I'm really evaluating that, where I'm maybe uh, changing up my budget and looking to see where do we spend money, it always always unnerves me. Always. I always go to Corey and say, we are never eating out again, ever. Because it doesn't feel like that much when we just pull through and it's, you know, for our family, it continues to increase as our boys get older and older and eat more and more. But it's like, okay, it's 20 bucks or 25. You're like, oh, well, that's that's money, but it's not a ton of money until you get to the end of the month and it's like $17,000 that you spend at Wendy's and McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A gets all my money. I feel like I'm tithing when I give to Chick-fil-A anyway. But man, when you look at where we spend our money, it really reveals to us potentially where our heart's at. Now, that doesn't mean that if you are spending a lot of money eating out, that there's something wrong with your heart other than bad cholesterol. But what it does mean is maybe it's time to reevaluate how we spend our money, where we prioritize it, how we give of our money rather than just spending it potentially without a plan. And today's not about budgeting. Today is really just about the tithing aspect of how we utilize money related to the church and God's kingdom and the ministry that God has called the church to. And so today I told you, I am going to spend most of my time and most of our time in scripture. And so I'm gonna give you some references. I encourage you to write these down. We'll reference them. They'll be on the screen, almost all of these, but you can write the references down and go back and read the entire story. Make sure I'm telling you the right story. And again, you can utilize this for further study if you want to. The first place that we see tithing in Scripture is Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14 is the story or part of the story of a man named Abram who we would later come to know as Abraham. And at this point in the story, he goes to rescue his family member, Lot. Lot has kind of gotten in with a bad group of people, and he goes, and, they, and they, somebody comes, and they, they kidnap Lot and his family and a bunch of other people, and they take all these possessions. And Abram goes with about 300 fighting men, and they go and rescue Lot and gain back all the possessions that had been taken. And when they get back, the king of Sodom, this is the Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that's that community that we're talking about. The king of Sodom comes out to meet with Abram and he has a conversation. And this is what it says in Genesis 14, beginning in verse 19. And he blessed him saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, the reason that's important, let me just stop right here because we're going to keep reading, is the word tenth means tithe. Tithe means tenth, all right? So anywhere you see that here, those are going to be interchangeable throughout our time today. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner and Eshgal and Mamre take their share. Now, this interaction is important in the larger narrative of scripture. It doesn't really set all of the precedent for tithing, but it's interesting for us to know that Abram, 
a man that honored God, a man that chose to walk in the ways of God, a man that was called by God, someone who was faithful, who was found righteous. He was somebody that we read several stories throughout this passage in, in, in this chunk of Genesis. He's referenced later in Hebrews 11 as someone who lived by faith. This is a man who honored God. And in this instance, he gave a tenth of everything back to the king of Sodom. Now, he's not giving it to God necessarily. He's not giving it uh, necessarily to the church, but he's giving a tenth. And this, this starts a principle that we're going to see repeated throughout. And what Abram says is his motivation is to make sure that the king of Sodom knew and anybody else knew that what he had in his possession was not something that was given to him by someone else, but by God. He said, listen, everything that I have, all the possessions that we acquired when we went on this journey, everything that God has given to me, everything that I have has been given by God. And I'm not going to take anything that you want to give to me because I don't ever want it to be said that you made me rich. I want to be uh, in the full understanding that God is the one who gave me everything that I have. That's really, really, really an important principle that we'll come back to. Now, a lot of people would say related to tithing, well, that's an Old Testament law. That's an Old Testament law. If, you, if you're kind of, you're in the, the church mindset where you look at Old Testament and New Testament and you know how those things play together and what Jesus said when he came related to the Old Testament law, you know, he says, I didn't, I came to fulfill it. So there is this idea that some of the law that exists in the Old Testament, maybe we don't adhere to today in some of the strictest forms because now we're just in relationship with Jesus. And as long as we take Jesus for who he is and have relationship with Jesus, then we don't have to go back and understand all of the the law that's written in the book of Leviticus and other places there in the Old Testament related to what God said to the children of Israel. Because the Old Testament law was actually the thing that God gave to a chosen people. He gave to the children of Israel and said, you take this and allow, allow this to establish how you live among a pagan people. Take this law and this is the way that you should live and the way that you should govern and the way that you should come to me in the midst of a people that don't believe in me so that... When they look at you and the way that you conduct yourselves, they will know that there's something different about you than they have in their lives. That was the purpose of the Old Testament law. But some people would look at tithing or anything that we read in the Old Testament and go, well, it no longer matters. It no longer exists. It's not something that we have to adhere to again. But interesting to me that this passage we just read in Genesis and another we're going to read in Genesis in just a second precedes the Old Testament law. Think about this. The law comes later in the Old Testament, beginning in the book of Leviticus. We're reading in Genesis. So the principles that are here, they would precede what God gave to his specific people, the children of Israel, in the book of Leviticus. And so we can't necessarily connect tithing or this principle to a specific thing that God said to a specific people that no longer applies to us. This is the example that we follow based on the example that Abram, later called Abraham, later someone in Hebrews 11, that we are told to reference in the way that we should live, this is something that precedes the law, which is an interesting principle. We'll come back to that in a minute. I'm trying to set up a lot of stuff. Here's what it says in Genesis 28. This is the story of Jacob. Jacob has a dream, and he wakes up from that dream. He was sleeping on a rock, um, which maybe you sleep on rocks sometimes, or you have pillows that feel like rocks. By the way, we bought two brand new pillows at Costco this week, $9.99. Gel foam, amazing. Never slept better. Doesn't really have anything to do with this. Just thought about that when Jacob was sleeping on a rock. Genesis 28, verse 20 through 22 says this. Then Jacob made a vow to God saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, 
and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and this stone, the one he slept on, which I have set up as a pillar for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. So what Jacob says is, okay, he wakes up, he has this dream, he wakes up and he begins to make a vow to God. Again, preceding the law, this is him and his personal relationship with God. He says this, he says, listen, okay, if God will be with me and he'll keep me and he'll give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I may again go to my father's house in peace, that the Lord shall be with me. This stone which I've set up will be a pillar, shall be God's house and all that you give me, I'll give a full tenth. What Jacob was saying in this vow is, God, if you will provide for me, I will give a tenth of the provision back to you. So Jacob understood that if he was going to survive, it was going to be because of the provision of God. And he says, I'm making a vow now to follow after you, that you'll be my God, I will serve you, and I'm asking you to be my provision, to provide for me. And if you do that, I'll take everything that you provide to me and I'll give you a tenth back. I'll tithe back to you from everything that you provide. That's important. We're going to come back to that. The ending today is not an hour long. I'm just setting us all up, all right? We do eventually get to the law that I referenced. In the book of Leviticus, this is what it says in Leviticus 27, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. There's a larger passage there in Leviticus 27 about the way that we give of the resource that we acquire. Now, obviously, this was a very agricultural uh, culture and people. And so he says, whether it's the seed that you acquire or the fruit that is produced from the seed that you plant and it becomes something, whatever form it comes in, you're to give a tenth back to God. This is the passage. I'm going to just kind of speak to the church folks for a second. This is the passage where people start to argue, do you tithe on the net or the gross? Okay? Because a lot of people look at this and go, do I tithe on the net or or the gross? The answer is yes. Okay, I'm not going to answer that for you today. This is the law that God was saying to a specific people to say, it doesn't matter what form it comes in. If you get it in the seed form before it becomes something, or you get it in the fruit form before, by the time it's already become something else, you give a tenth of that to God. That's between you and God. Perhaps the most famous tithing passage of scripture in all the Bible is found in the book of Malachi. Malachi, is a, Malachi chapter three is a passage that a lot of people reference in the church when they start talking about tithing. The book of Malachi is not a place that we really read a lot from in church other than to talk about tithing. But there's some really good stuff in there. It's only four chapters long, and I would encourage you maybe just to look at Malachi and read it. It is the last of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's actually the last book of the Old Testament. So if you're flipping and you get to Matthew, just go left just a couple pages and you're in Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's the last book of the minor prophets, the way that it's kind of broken up there in the Old Testament. And this passage in Malachi is a part of this four-chapter book that was written, and the authorship is somewhat debated. Some people say maybe it's a a biography. It's written by Malachi. Some people would say it's written by Ezra. Some people say it's written by Hezekiah. But the word Malachi means messenger of God or my messenger. And so no matter who the author was, this was included in scripture because those that were debating it were saying, this is definitely a message from God for his people. And the, the, the reason for this book, this short book, the reason here is because it was addressing some lax moral and social behavior that were taking place among God's people. 
And so several things are addressed in the book of Malachi that would even be relevant today. So again, I encourage you to read it. But in Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, listen to some of the strong language that's, get, that's given here. And again, this is written to God's people related to maybe what they weren't doing that they should have been doing. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will man rob God Yet you are robbing me. Now, remember, this is the messenger of God speaking. So God is the one talking here to his people through the prophet. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your, of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Now, again, this is, this is a larger book written about a larger set of issues, but in these three or four verses here, we, we are referencing the tithe. And the first things right out of this, right out of the gate here in Malachi 3 verse 8 is, would you rob God? God even asking the children of Israel, because later he says, you, the whole nation of you, he's saying, hey, would you, the children of Israel, would you, the whole nation, would you, the people that's been set apart by God, would you rob me? But yeah, you have been. And how have we been robbing you, God, you might ask? Through the tithe and the contributions, the way that you've been giving and he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, what is the storehouse? The storehouse then would have been the temple. The temple was the place where not only did you come to worship God, but in that day and age, it was also the, kind of a, a marketplace a little bit, not necessarily for the selling and buying of goods, but a place where you would go and store up the things for the use of God and his church. And so what we understand about that is in this agricultural culture, we would understand that if you had crops or you had harvest, you would bring a tenth of that harvest into the storehouse, which was a part of the temple, and you would present that there. If you had some livestock that was born, if you had 10, let's just say 10 cows, okay, then one of those cows you would bring to the storehouse, you would bring to the temple. If you had money, you made some money on a different transaction, you would bring a tenth of that into the storehouse, into the temple. You would present that to the priest so that the ministry that needed to be done out of the storehouse, out of the temple could be done. When the sacrifices that were required, they would use the livestock that had been presented as the tithe. The priests themselves who couldn't work a secular job could then eat in that day from the harvest that was given. The coins were used to help care for the poor or the orphans, the widows, the things, the ministry that needed to be done could be done through the tithe that was given into the storehouse. Now, the modern day storehouse is the church. It's the New Testament church of the New Testament and the modern day church of today because it is the place where we come and interact with God in the corporate fashion. And so when we talk about tithing, according to Malachi chapter 3, we understand that we're talking about bringing the tithe to the place that we come together corporately to worship God, to the temple, to the place. Now, again, we meet in a school. Trevor referenced it when we're talking about our volunteers. But the church is not this building. The church is this people. We talked about that maybe a year or so ago, talking about the ecclesia, the people of God gathered together corporately to worship God. And so if we were to meet here, or if we were to meet in the movie theater on exit 20, 
or we were to meet in a building that we owned, or we were to meet in a tent on a piece of land that we own. Wherever we were to meet, we are the people of God together in one place. We are the ecclesia. We would bring the tithe to the storehouse to help facilitate the ministry that God has called this local body of people to accomplish. And so we understand, according to Malachi, that there is something we are to do related to the corporate gathering of God's people and the things that God has provided to us as individuals in the relationship we have to the local church. Now, here's, here's one way that I heard this, okay? So this is not me saying this, so if you're offended by this, don't email me, email Blake, all right? Um, he didn't say this, though. Just email him, because that'd be fun. Uh, here's the way I heard it. This is a place that you come and gather, and when we gather together, hopefully we, we kind of eat. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say, you know, like, I get fed there, um, and I think that's a, that's a good word sometimes. I, I think it can be misused in a lot of ways. So I don't eat here necessarily, but I eat at other places, obviously. I love it. Um, but if I were to go to Viva Mexico in the public shopping center for lunch today, hypothetically, and I were to go there, that would be the place that I am eating, right? I am partaking of food there in that place, and so the reason that I'm going to pay a bill at the end of that meal is because I would eat that place, the food that they've provided, and I would then help to offset the expense of the food that I have been given. And the same is true in the church. Not necessarily that you're eating the words that I'm saying, but that ministry is taking place here. And some of that ministry is benefiting you or your family or the community in which you live. And so all of us together have a responsibility, I believe, according to God's word, to help fund the ministry that's taking place, the way that we are trying to feed the community, trying to feed the ministries that take place in this building and outside of this building and anywhere that God's people, the ecclesia of God's people, do life and do ministry within this local community. I can't imagine going to Viva Mexico and eating their food and getting to the end and they bring me a check and I say, no, I'm actually not going to pay you. I'm going to go give my money to La Perea. Now, I don't think that would work, though La Perea has some amazing salsa, right? I love it. But I pay for what I have received and I contribute to the expenses of the experience that I've taken part in, in the place where I take part in that experience, not necessarily in giving somewhere else. Now, I do have a choice because I can go to Viva Mexico and eat lunch and pay for my food there and then go to dinner at La Perea and pay for my meal there. And I can be a part of multiple places where I'm fed and contributing to the experiences at both of those places. Anybody hungry yet? I think some of us are going to Viva Mexico for lunch, just throwing that out there. And so Malachi chapter 3 is one of the most famous places in all of Scripture that talks about the tithe, but all of the passages that I've read so far come out of the Old Testament. And so your argument, if you have one, that the Old Testament is the only place that we talk about the tithe, it's the only place that we're instructed to get to tithe or to give to God, is valid up to this point until we get to Matthew we were in Malachi and we just flipped a few pages to the right and now we're in the New Testament. Now we're in the story of Jesus and his church that he is establishing of the New Testament. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus talks about something as he is rebuking a group of people. And he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, let's all kind of follow this thought that Jesus is saying. He's rebuking a group of people because they were actually tithing. But they were tithing in an effort to receive good standing with the church. Because what they were doing is they were walking into the church with grandiose ideas and grandiose kind of stature and saying, hey, I'm giving my tithe today. And so here's the the mint and the dill and the cumin that I have of my possessions. And I want everyone to know that I'm giving of my tenth. I'm giving the tithe. But what Jesus said to them is he says, you've neglected the way to your things, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. You are keeping the law that, that, is, that is something public because in that day you would walk in and present your tithe in a very public fashion. Thank God we don't do that today, right? But he says the things that are done more in private, the justice towards other people, the mercy that you should extend to others, the faithfulness of keeping the law of the things that are private, you don't do those things. You're actually doing the public things and neglecting the private things. And here's what he says, the last phrase, the last sentence of that entire verse says this, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus actually says, even through some negative connotation of the words, he says, listen, you should be tithing and you should be doing justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus himself says, it's right what you are doing, but it's not all that you should be doing. Tithing is not the end all be all. It's not the one thing that you get to do so that you earn God's favor. We talked last week about the possessions that we have and how in the interaction that Jesus had with the rich young ruler, he was talking to him and he was saying, hey, you still lack one thing. What do you get the man that has everything? How could Jesus say to this rich man that he lacked anything? And what Jesus was saying is, listen, it's difficult sometimes for people of great wealth or possessions to actually enter into the kingdom of heaven because they think they can buy their way in. Your tithing records are not on display. Your tithing records are not known to the people of the church or necessarily even the leadership other than people that process that information because it's not about you saying, hey, look how much I tithe. Look how I give of the dill and the mint and the cumin or look how much money I give because of the things that God has given to me. God says, no, all of that becomes a part of my relationship with God. The relationship through Jesus Christ, it's no longer about the public demonstration to say, I am earning my way in, look at me and look how good I am. It's actually a matter of the heart because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Tithing to me is a trust issue. Tithing is a trust issue. Because I think we put so much of our hope money. We think that if we have great wealth or we have money or we have possessions that we're going to be okay. And so our hope is found there because we think, man, if something goes bad, I've got this little nest egg over here. If I need to, I can go dip into this account or this savings or my 401k or I can dip into other retirement or I can dip because I've got savings, I've got a security net. And really sometimes those things, though none of them are bad, please don't hear me saying go drain those things. None of those things are bad. I think sometimes they provide for us a false sense of security that's not dependent on God himself. I believe that tithing is a trust issue. And if I can be totally 100% transparent and honest to you today. 
my entire life, when I have struggled with tithing, it's because I didn't trust God enough. I knew what money was coming in and I knew what money had to go out. And I didn't think I could afford to give the tithe. And so there were times that I didn't. There were times I didn't tithe. There were times I didn't tithe all that I knew I was supposed to give in obedience. And really, it was sin for me because it was a lack of trust in God. I don't want to put that on you. I just want to tell you that for me, in the times of my life, in the places of my life, where I wasn't being obedient to God in the way that I knew that I should, it was because I didn't trust him enough. It wasn't about the income and the expense lines of my budget. It was about my heart and the lack of trust that I had in God as my provider. Pastor Adrian Rogers says this, which I think really sums up some places that I've been in my life. He says, a faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. I know it's true for me. Anytime that I stop short of submitting my wallet to God, it actually reveals that I haven't submitted my whole heart to God. I told you up front, today's not about making you feel guilty. I'm telling you a story about me. But I know, deep down in my knower, that when I haven't trusted God with my wallet, it's because I haven't really trusted him with my heart. And it probably comes out of one of the three views we have about money. I think there's only three views. I think these three views are shared in some form or fashion by everybody in the room and by everybody in the world that has any any connection to this idea of tithing or giving money back to God. The first view is this. I work hard for my money. It's all mine. And I'll give God whatever I feel like whenever I feel like it. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be that defiant. It doesn't have to be like shaking your fist at God. But it is this idea that what I have is mine. I earned it. I worked hard for it. I weathered the storms at my job. I worked in my job. I worked on my job. I worked with people I don't like to get money, and it's mine. And whenever I feel like giving God money, whatever I feel like I need to give him, I'll give him. And so if the bucket passes and I feel like, hey, yeah, I'll give today, and I've got a 10 in my wallet, I'll drop a 10 in. If I got a 100 in my wallet, I'll see if somebody on my road's got change, <laughs> right? But it's mine. It's all mine, and I'll give whatever I feel like giving whenever I feel like giving it. The second view of money, which seems to be a little healthier, is that I give God 10%, and the other 90% is mine to do with what I want. This sounds like what I've been saying today. I give God 10% because that's what he said he wants, and so I'll give it to him, and the other 90% is mine. Except that that falls a little, bit, a little bit short of fully trusting God with my wallet and my heart, which I think is better expressed in number three, that says it's all God's, 100% of it. He entrusts it to me, all of it, and he only asks for 10% of it in return. There's a difference in owners and stewards. I actually don't own anything. The bank could tell you that because they actually own my house. They just let me live in there as long as I make the payments. But when I describe it to people, I don't say, hey, come and look at this Wells Fargo house. I say, come to my house. 
my relationship with God and the resources that I have are exactly the same. I say, look at my stuff. Look at the paycheck that I got. Look at the money that I have. Look at the resources that I have acquired. Look at the things that we have. When really, if I view it through this third view, if I understand what God actually says to me, it's all God's. Psalm says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. Everything in the earth is God's. And yet God chooses to entrust to me portions of his possessions. It was a parable that Jesus told that he gave parts, he gave these talents, he gave some, some of his possession to three different guys. And to one he gave 10 talents, and to one he gave a couple of talents, and one he gave one talent. And sometimes we read that story and we go, that's not fair. Why wouldn't he give everybody the same? Take all those Adam together and split it three ways. And we look around sometimes, we talked about this last week, and we go, why does that person get more? Why does that person get less? And I don't know. I have no idea. But what I do know is that it was the master who decided to give those things to his servants. The master decided And later in the New Testament, when it talks about spiritual gifts, which we're not talking about today, but I think is the same principle, it says that the same Spirit, the one Spirit, gives gifts to those as He chooses. And we look at people and we go, man, look at the talent that person has. Look at the gift that they have. Why can't I have that same gift? And I don't know. I just know that God looked over all of humanity and said, I'm given this gift over here and I'm given this gift over here. And the master stood before his servants, before the stewards, and he says, I'm giving you these talents, and I'm giving you these talents, and I'm giving you these talents. And then the master held them accountable for what they did with his stuff while they were holding it. And I'm challenged in my heart with what I do with what God has given to me. Because I don't own any of it, I'm just a steward. God has entrusted some things to me and he's asked me to be wise and obedient and God honoring with the things that he's put into my hands and and guess what my wife and I have chosen to do we've chosen to give 10% of what God has entrusted to us back to the church and let me just tell you what we've been a part of along with those of you who have invested financially And in other ways, let me just tell you what God has done. What God has done through this local campus of this local church since January the 1st. 35 people have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ here as a part of this ministry. Eight children, 12 students, and 15 adults. Five people have gone public with that decision for Jesus Christ in water baptism. 141 people have been in life groups in 2014, including 32 brand new people who had never been in a life group before January 1st of this year. 102 people have volunteered in some capacity in 2014, including 30 people who had never volunteered in this church prior to January 1st. Some of the outreach things that we've done to get outside of the walls and do some things, which includes some of those volunteer numbers that you just heard, We talked about Love Week back in April leading up to Easter. We served breakfast or lunch to six local schools and breakfast to the superintendent's cabinet, dinner to the Holly Springs Police Department, and in total we fed 472 people in our community. 
We also wrote handwritten thank you cards to the faculty at nine area schools, Northside Cherokee Hospital nurses, and the police department. 774 people got handwritten thank you cards to say thank you for what you do to make our community better. 50 different people were involved in writing those notes or dropping off that food or serving that food. This summer, we collected together 50 book bags for Give a Kid a Chance to help 50 underprivileged children have the supplies that they needed to start school. And through some of our volunteers and some of our college interns, we went and served at an event called Give a Kid a Chance where they gave out those book bags and served those people. And at the location that we served at, 1,500 kids were served. Since January 1st of this year, you have given $14,000 to missionaries, to sponsor church plants, and to give in benevolence to people who are hurting. Now, if you gave, you should be proud of that. If you didn't give, you shouldn't feel guilty for that. I wanted to tell you what God has done through this storehouse since January the 1st. Just in 2014. And, and here's, some, here's some things that I kind of just, I wrote down here. Will you go to hell if you don't tithe? I don't think so. I don't think so. Take a deep breath there. Are you being disobedient if you don't tithe? Maybe. I know I am because I know what God has said to me. I know when I read scripture and I read about tithing, I believe God's calling me to that. And I know if I don't do that, then that I'm being disobedient. And so I know what it is for me. We've talked about it for the last couple of weeks and to kind of wrap this up, I want to point you to the 90 day giving challenge one more time. In your worship guide, there's a card that says 90 day giving challenge and it has a ladder on it. And let me just explain briefly what this is one more time because I want to make sure you understand my heart, the heart of the leadership of our church. We are not trying to get more of your money. We're trying to lead both of our campuses in what we believe is good stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted to those of us that call this place home. And so the 90-day giving challenge begins September 1st and runs through the end of November. And what we're asking everyone to do is to evaluate their giving and to take one step up the giving ladder. And so you can see the picture there. If you have never given ever, you're not even on the ladder, we're asking you to take one step up and just be a first-time giver. Just give in some way that says, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you here and I'm gonna give something to you in this 90 days. And I'm just gonna... I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to do that. I've got a lot of things that I could do with my money, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to jump onto this ladder. Maybe you've given before. Maybe you give semi-regularly. We're asking you to give consistently. Again, not because we're looking for your money. We believe that God is saying, if you trust me, then you will give consistently to me. It's an ongoing relationship. You're not just going to use me you're going to be in relationship with me. I'm not just going to, you're not just going to pray when you need something from God. You're going to talk to God all the time. You're not just going to attend church when things are going bad. You're just going to start attending church regularly. All these are the same principle that we want to have an ongoing, regular relationship with God. And so we're asking you to consistently give. Maybe you give consistently, but you haven't yet begun to tithe. Give the tenth. 
Maybe you say, you know, evaluating my heart along with anybody else that's a part of my financial picture, a spouse or family members, whatever, we're going to try in these 90 days to get to the tithe. And I know that's difficult. If you've never done that, it can be a major leap. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But if, you, if you've never tithed, we're asking you to try to tithe in the 90 days. And maybe you do tithe. Maybe you give the 10%. We're asking you to evaluate your heart and say, God, what is it that you might be calling me to above and beyond the tithe? Now, here's some just random numbers. Because I know sometimes when you hear that, you go, there's no way I could do that. Absolutely no way I could do that. Let me just give you some numbers. If you make $26,000 a year, you're bringing home, or pre-tax, you got about $500 a week. So your tithe, 10% of that would be $50 a week. Maybe you can't do that yet. Maybe you've never tithed. You're not sure how you would even come up with $50 a week. 2% of your income would be $10 a week. Maybe for you, if you've never given, you could give $10 a week as a 2% consistent gift to God to say, God, I'm trusting you that you're gonna bless me. 5% would be $25 a week. Maybe you make $52,000 a year. That's $1,000 a week. Then your tithe would be $100 a week. The 10% would. Maybe you say, I can't give 10%. I'm not there financially to where I can free up that much money. 2% of your income would be $20 a week. $20 a week. 5% of your income would be $50 a week. If you make $104,000 a year, it's $2,000 a week. The tithe is $200 a week. 2% of that is $40 a week. 5% is $100 a week. Now, here's what I believe. I believe if you jump in at any level, that God will bless you. I don't necessarily believe that God's going to give you your money back. I don't necessarily believe if you write a check for $40, you're going to go home and in your mailbox is a $400 check that somebody sent you. It's a thousand fold or whatever the script. I don't believe that necessarily, but it could happen. I've watched it happen. But I'm not promising you that genie in a bottle God is going to go and do that thing for you. But I promise you, according to Malachi chapter 3, that he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And then listen to this. This is verse 11. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. You know what I believe about Matthew 3 verse 11? It says, if you say there are things that are just robbing my money, there's some stuff that makes my financial picture very, very, very tight. I believe if you will honor God and give him the tithe, that God will do what he said and rebuke the devourers. I believe he will bless you and I believe that he will help to make right the things that are putting a press on your financial picture. Now, it might be that he's calling you to be wise with your money in places you haven't been wise. But I believe God's word, that this is what he says, that you can test him and that you can trust him. And that when you trust him, he will bless you And he will fight for you and he'll fight for your money. I want to pray just to close out our time. And I know I've gone longer than I normally do. And I don't make apologies for that. But I want to pray today for any of you that have a financial need. 
If you just got, it's financial pressure. You've got financial issues in your life. Maybe it's budgeting, lack of budgeting, poor budgeting. Maybe it's an income level. Maybe it's an expense issue. And I've prayed similar prayers over these few weeks, but I wanna pray today specifically that if you have a need financially, that God would meet that need. And I also wanna pray for all of us in this room to consider the 90-day challenge. Corey and I are committed. We're going to participate. We're gonna take a step up the ladder. And we're asking God not just to bless us. We're not in this for ourselves, but we're asking God to see that we trust him and to see that we're trusting him with more of what he's entrusted to us so that he can trust us more. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. With nobody looking around, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, I've got a financial issue and I need God to meet it. I've got, it could be any number of things, but related to my finances, I've got an issue and I need God to meet that need. Would you lift your hand? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. There are tons of hands going up in the room. I want everybody in the room to stand, please. And if you feel comfortable, I'm just gonna ask you just to hold hands with the person beside you or maybe put a hand on their shoulder. Not everybody raised their hand, but there were a bunch. And so just in a point of agreement here, I want us just to pray together that God would meet these needs. And I also want us to pray that God would help us to be faithful with what he's given to us. God, I pray now for every person in this room. God, I pray for every hand that was lifted. God, I pray right now that you would bless their finances, that you would uh, just touch every need that they have. God, if they've got unpaid bills and they don't have the funds to do it, God, I pray you'd work a miracle. I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself, that you would bring people along their paths that want to help them in that process to write off some of the bills that are there or to, to create new streams of income for them and their family to help pay those things that they owe. God, I pray right now for people that are without work. They don't have a job or they're underemployed and that they have a part-time job, but they need full-time or they're not getting paid what they need to provide for their family in the way that they, they would like to and the way that they need to. God, I pray now that you would open up doors for them to find jobs that honor you and provide for their family because we believe that that comes from your provision. God, today I pray for every one of us in this room, myself included, God, that we would trust you more in the areas of our finance. God, that we would not look at it as what we can acquire, what we can pull to ourselves, what we can hold in tight to us. We wouldn't look at it as mine, 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 but God, we would know that you have given to us. You own it all. It is all yours. You entrust some of it to us. And God, I pray that we are good stewards of the resources that you've given to us. And that God, we would honor you with those finances. God, help us over the next week or so to prayerfully consider taking part in this 90-day challenge. This is not about the church and their money, God. This is about them and us trusting you. God, help us to do that. Help us to trust you more with our finances because it actually reveals a trust that we have in our heart for you in every area of our life. God, I thank you today for who you are, what you've called us to, what you've given to us, and what you're going to do in our future. In Jesus' name we pray.